Welcome to the Raising Kellen podcast. My name is Marsh Naidu and I blog at RaisingKellen.org where we curate resources for parents raising children with developmental delay and or disabilities. The information provided on this podcast is for educational purposes only and if you have questions regarding your specific situation, it's best to seek the advice of a trained professional. April is Autism Awareness Month and today I am joined by Cindy Slomowitz, who is a dedicated pediatric physical therapist and today we are going to delve into autism and what autism encompasses as well as some possible treatment strategies for parents who are working under the supervision of either a physical therapist, occupational therapist, or speech therapist. So grab that cup of coffee, put your legs up, and get ready for some awesome conversation. Cynthia Slomowitz is a pediatric PT that has written a course setting the stage for success in the treatment of children with autism. Based on her experience as a PT and a mother of a child with autism. Good morning, Cynthia, and thank you for joining us today. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Cynthia, I just want to open the floor to you and and have you tell us a little bit about yourself as a pediatric PT and tell us about this course offering that you have. I started out writing this course when COVID hit. I was uh, treating for 13 years in uh, school-based and birth-to-three settings and I had all this knowledge from um, also being a stay-at-home mom with my son for previously 13 years. So um, I thought it was time to put everything down that I had experienced personally and professionally, starting from diagnosis, birth to three, three to five, school age, and even on to college. Your experience as a pediatric therapist, can you talk a little bit more about that and how you came to pediatric uh, physical therapy? Sure. I, I actually started my career more in orthopedics. Um, and then when my son was diagnosed with, uh, at the time it was mild PDD, but now it's mild autism, the um, DSM-5 now includes um, PDD and Asperger's in autism under the umbrella. Um, so he received services, birth to three, and he just kept receiving services all the way up. Even now, um, he's an adult uh, and he still has services uh it's a good safety net to keep them going as long as as possible because you just never know. Uh, I was told by a uh, consultant that even adults can lose their job more frequently and OVR 
Office of Vocational Rehab also um, helps train. And uh, there's also a, um, a program at Westchester University where they, um, they have, and also St. Joe's has it, and a bunch of other schools in the country have like um, social skill uh, groups within universities to help um, individuals um, integrate into society and college life. Uh, so that's been really helpful as well. And there's a, there's a, um, it's called the Peers Program, P-E-E-R-S, I believe, um, out of UCLA. That's a very, uh, it's a validated uh, course for older um, individuals in the spectrum. Um, but getting back to uh, younger children, uh, starting birth to three and three to five, those are the years where there's still a lot of neuroplasticity going on, uh, more so birth to like five, five, six, seven in that age range. So the more they get when they're younger, uh, I think it sets a really good foundation for uh, long-term improvement. Cynthia, I'm going to be honest, and, and all I have is just like the medical definition surrounding autism. Okay. May, may I please ask you to give our listeners more uh, sustenance to that sure. um, as you describe autism to us? Sure. So autism, the the actual diagnosis includes uh speech can include speech delay it can include um sensory and uh one of the biggest problems in treating um children with autism are called rrbs they're repetitive and restrictive behaviors and um they can really interfere with function it's uh, those behaviors you see that it could be, you know, flap, flapping their hands. It can be watching their fingers um, under the lights. It can be walking in and out of a room 10 times or 20 times, or it can be, uh, you know, so many different coping mechanisms that um, these individuals uh, come up with and, they can be extremely um, interrupt. They interrupt the academic and social process because they just are so uh, embedded in in the behavior. It's so um, that's a really important factor. And then um, fifty percent of the people diagnosed with autism are intellectually disabled, um, but what I've read and uh, it can be just that people are using poor IQ testing measures because, you know, it's like um, how, you know, if a child can't speak properly, can they really express themselves in an IQ score? So, um, you know, we may be underestimating a lot of intelligent people on the spectrum uh, 
as a matter of fact, I know like one uh, friend of mine's son is in college using an AAC device, an augmented, augmentative and alternative communication device, even though he can't speak, he's completely able to take college courses. Uh, so he uses that to communicate with peers and professors. Uh, so I think I think that I've covered. So it's it's social, it's communicative, it's sensory, and hopefully, eventually, we'll add a motor piece to that because uh, clearly, people on the spectrum are having trouble functioning. School age, like putting on coats, uh, hanging up their you know coats and uh hygiene tra- you know uh traveling f- feeding self-feeding uh play skills uh so hopefully at, at some point later they'll add motor to the dsm-5 for autism cynthia with my my experience with cerebral palsy you kind of know that something is not quite right mm-hmm. Where, whereas my understanding of autism is that the lines are not as clearly defined. For those parents that might be listening out there, that there's an inkling of, is this how things should be or shouldn't be? What would be your pointer to that parent or, uh, you know, just some kind of, how can they go about investigating what's going on with their child? Yeah, that's a good, great question. I know um, a lot of parents are so nervous uh, when their child is not functioning at the level that they think they should be functioning. And uh, there's so many other um, diagnoses that can occur from like birth to three. From birth to two, I definitely warn my parents not to, I call it like the wormhole, don't go down the wormhole, uh, because there's just so many other factors that could be happening. Um, I've had I've had like twins, who, one just had like more of a failure to thrive. Um, I have low tone kids that have like idiopathic low tone, which means basically they have low tone for no reason. And they look a lot like they're autistic, but they're not. So birth to two, I basically just, you know, tell them to just, let's just wait and see. Once they hit two, you can start seeing that things are either getting worse or um, or they're staying the same. Um, you'll start to see like the perseverations where, you know, they'll look at a mobile in the room and you know they'll start to stim on it um which is part of those rrbs you know the self-stimulatory behavior um they might not have great eye contact um they may um just be kind of not even hearing you or responding to their name um those you know start to tease out a little bit um, after two, my, I noticed at 18 months, um, my son was starting to have some self-stimulatory behavior. Um, 
and he hadn't had any low tone or anything else Mm -hmm. prior to that. Um, And then, uh, and then, you know, the speech is usually significantly delayed. Um, There's a condition called hyperlexia where uh, some some children who are autistic will start actually reading before they're actually like having a conversation. So like my son could decode like a book, but he couldn't like, you know, say his name or say, you know, mommy, I want milk or something. Mm-hmm. So um, so there's other, I guess, comorbidities or co-diagnoses that sometimes occur with autism. Um, another one that we're trying to figure out, um, dyspraxia is like motor incoordination or uncoordination. And, uh, you know, one question I have is, you know, is it autism, is the autistic version different than just the standard, like, um, core, uh, coordination disorders found in other other sets of children that don't have autism so that's something that I'll probably look into in the next five years or so um but you can you can if your IQ is if the child's IQ is um in the typical range or low to middle typical range there's hope to improve even if they start out fairly low um the children that just you know can't respond um whether it's due to low iq or just their their rrbs are just so out of control their sensory so out of control parents need to spend a lot of time on there's a study that i found it's, I actually added it to my course this year um, where it said like the three things that you should do for RRBs, um, antecedent, which is like making your environment uh, sensory friendly so that you're not creating these behaviors or um, redirecting these behaviors. Um, there's a, a um, strategy we use called first and next. Um, first you do what I want you to do, and then you get to do what you want to do. So if you want to stem in the corner for 15 minutes, first, you have to unpack your lunch, put it in the cubby, um, and hang up your coat. So we're trying to extinguish the RRBs, but in order to do that, you have to, um, give them like make them do something that's functionally useful and then still let them do the RRBs, but slowly decrease the time that you're letting them, you know, flap in the corner, whatever it is that they like to do. Um, So that's redirecting. And then the third is just like blocking them, which is just like, no, thank you. You know, if they're going for that corner, cause they want to, you know, rock in the corner for a few minutes. Uh, you know, some people just block them and say, no, thank you. You know, look at your picture, you know, for we're going, you know, we're hanging up our coat. We're sitting at our desk. We're doing work. We're going to gym. 
you know, then we're going to lunch, sorry, you know, and just having them sit down. Um, they might have a tantrum, you know, um, the, the, the two more popular um, ways to extinguish RRBs are antecedent, which is, like I said, just getting it, getting the environment more friendly and then redirecting them, which is like um, giving them like, first you do what I want you to do, then you can have your little break and do what you want. So at least they know they're getting it. It's almost like a, you know, it's like a perseveration. They really want that, you know, break to stem in the corner. So if they know that they're getting, they have to do their work first, they can hold it together for a little bit until they get a break. What does therapy uh, of physical, occupational, and speech therapy, what does that look like for a uh, child with autism? Well, you know, I, I've been, you know, doing this a while, and I'm actually in the middle of getting my PhD and doing autism research. So I've given this a lot of thought recently. And although play is important, like um, you need to like play in gym class, you need to kick the ball, you need to like throw it to your friend and say, you know, hey, Jim, catch the ball. You know, you have to in in the perfect world, you know, that would be a wonderful goal for a child in the spectrum. But after giving it a little bit more thought, um, I've also started thinking that I know OTs do this anyway, but I think PTs should also do functional uh, work like in the classroom and like push in to gym or push into recess um, a little bit more than, uh, you know, it's like, it's so hard because, you know, schedules aren't always flexible Mm -hmm. Um, but if we can be as flexible as possible, uh, what I used to do, which would really help me, I would, uh, actually give the aides, uh, a prompting chart for PT and I would have them count how many times that they like had to prompt the child to get up the slide and down the slide or, um, climb, you know, the obstacle course or, uh, you know, get on the swing so that the aides were using their time at recess, um, you know, prompting and keeping track of the children. Um, I think that's so important to uh, encourage the aides to, to take as much data for us as, as they can, because, we can't be with the child all day and we really need to like, it's called generalized. Like with autism, you have to like generalize to every um, environment because even though children are learning things with autism, it's very hard for them to generalize from gym to art, to music, to computer lab, to, to classroom, to, you know, it, to to lunch it's just they have a really hard time generalizing 
So generalizing skills. So we have to pretty much teach them like everything that they need to know. Um, like the, the more involved kids, like uh, there's like really high functioning kids that may not need anything except for occasional like behavior prompts. And then there's kids kind of in the middle that need more prompting and scripting. Scripting is like um, you're like, say Johnny comes to your um, PT room and he really wants to ride the bike and you know, Johnny can talk. So you say, Johnny, if you want to get on that bike, you need to uh, say, I would like to uh, turn on the bike. And because they, they, you know, unfortunately we can't go home with them. And so like, they might just like grab what they want at home and mom doesn't put demands on them, but we have to put demands on them. So I'll have Johnny say, you know, he can't get on his bike until he says a full sentence. Mm -hmm. So, so he will, like, I've done this with children. It's called scripting. You, you have them script appropriate behavior. And so he'll script, I want to ride the bike and then he'll ride the bike. And, uh, and so first you have to say, I want to ride the bike. Then you can ride the bike. It's like that first, the next put demands on the children so that they, uh, get what they want. As far as, I mean, parents will obviously do whatever they need to do for their child in order to aid development. But right. when it comes to things like introducing variation and introducing socialization for your child with autism, how much is too much or how do you find that balance? I mean, right. well, I definitely think that parents need to take their kids like at least once a week to a social skills group in the beginning until the child is high enough functioning to actually say, I am burnt out and I don't want to go to any more social skill groups um, because they are so important and, uh, you know, unfortunately, like some kids are just, you know, not as high priority to parents. They might have other kids that are more athletic or musically inclined and they, their schedule gets first, you know, dibs. Um, but going to extra therapy after school is so important. Um, you just, you have to follow through um, and it pays off when they're younger. By the time they're six or seven, um, we, they may, they may be pretty much at their, you know, level of, of uh, function, like we're taking a look at, you know, what levels and what age do they plateau? And we don't have an answer yet, but uh, the only kids that might improve are the kids with fairly normal IQ with significant speech delays that improve over time. Um, other than that, like, 
especially those really low functioning kids. Um, I mean, they really need a lot of prompting in the beginning. Um, and they need to go to these social skill groups and, it, you know, it may, it may help. It may not We're We're still trying to figure out all the data, um, but it certainly can't hurt and can only help. Um, but again, you know, the IQ has a lot to do with it. As far as the uh, sensory processing component, what are some of the therapeutic techniques that you would encourage parents on performing or, or looking at? Um, just a little bit of information on that. Okay. Well, to, to oversimplify, other than the RRBs, which are the repetitive behavior, which I already discussed, how, like the three techniques, um, generally to oversimplify this, there's either under-responsive or over-responsive children. So if they're over-responsive, they're going to be super hyper. They're going to be like, uh, you know, crashing or things like that. Like you can set up, uh, deep pressure, uh, where, uh, they can like crash into like a beanbag chair, um, go through like tunnels and, and actually, um, under responsive as well, um, can go through like different, they have like these compression tunnels, giving them lots of deep pressure, um, real overactive children can, um, can, uh, can also like swing, um, do heavy work. So things like that. Um, and again, I'm not, uh, um, sensory is more of like an OT domain and, um, I'm not really, um, you know, other than some deep pressure, some heavy work, you know, jumping jacks. I think I saw a study that said like jogging is a great way to burn off energy and increase energy. Like a lot of these techniques can be used either for under or overactive kids. Um, Cause you want it for the underactive kids, you want to get their energy level up and obesity is becoming a huge problem for the older older adults, um, because, you know, the, the lower functioning adults, you know, a lot of them are just sitting, um, they may be doing some type of work, but, um, they have very, uh, little exercise built into their day. Um, so, you know, jogging or treadmill would be great for them. For the younger kids, um, you know, they go to the playground and uh, it's built into their day. So they get to burn off energy, but they also have what are called sensory diets where extra activities are added into their routine, um, whether they're underactive or overactive. Um they have different strategies built into their IEP and um, the IEP is a legal document. So um, 
you definitely want to have everything written into the IEP for for children. Um, Cynthia, um, both as a PC and a mom, if you were making just a a public, uh, you know, just a general public statement as to what you wish uh, folks knew about autism, how uh-huh. would you, in a simple layman's terms, break it down? What would you want to uh, educate folks on? I guess the the biggest push that I have right now is that uh, parents need to know that there is so much, um, so many services that are offered through the Medicaid system um, that they really need to do their part to get their children services like after school and they need to be consistent with their teachers. And um, it's hard, it's not easy, and it's exhausting. And it's hard to keep a job when you're doing this with your child. Um, you, you know, you may have to play tag team with your spouse or your parent, you know, if your parents are around and helping you. But you got to do the work in the beginning because it will be worth it in the end. And Medicaid has um, what are called wraparound services where they bring in extra behavior specialists to help you. Um, they pay Medicaid pays for extra um, social skill groups and uh, extra occupational therapy for um, sensory strategies. So um, you really, parents need to do their work, especially early on. Um, It's just, it's all worth it in the end. Thank you so much for joining us today, Cynthia. Uh, I I so value your time and uh, is there, Anything that you would like to close off or say before we say goodbye to each other? I appreciate you having me on, and I hope that um, that we continue to improve the quality of life of, of children and adults with autism. And uh, I know that we can we can definitely work together all of us to uh just you know it takes a village and i hope uh i hope that everybody you know is kind and and supportive and uh i again i appreciate you having me on well thank you so much and you have an amazing day thank you Thank you so much for lending us your ears today. Uh, We would appreciate a rate, review, and a share of this podcast episode. Guys, if there are any specific topics that y'all would like to have researched, please reach out to me at raisingkellen at gmail.com. And to stay connected, we have an active Facebook page at Raising Kellen. And uh, we have an Instagram and YouTube channel as well at Raising underscore Kellen. 
there are some interesting topics on related to autism uh, that we've done podcasts in the past. We have episode three, which was an interview with Christine Coronado. Um, and Christine started a restaurant called Jordan's Grab and Go here in Diesburg. And I, I would encourage you to, to listen to that episode as well as episode 54, which was a chat with Stephen Komenitsky of the We Rock Spectrum Gym in Franklin, Tennessee. So some interesting episodes to reflect on. And um, as always, remember, get to the top of your mountain. This is Marsh Naidu signing off. Thank you.